it might have been Bryce that said it, but somebody was telling me they said you want to be interesting when you're older and you're you're talking to your kids, your grandkids about how you grew up in a in a bike town, the way people have reverence for the ski town, right? Like we literally now identify as a bike town, which is a really cool symptom of this industry taking root here. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 138 features Ryan Thibault, a co-founder of Mountain Bike Vermont, Ranch Camp, and is a fixture within the Vermont mountain biking scene, especially within the Stowe, Vermont region. We talked about trails, bike parks, mountain bike Vermont, and ranch camp. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right. www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. A huge thank you goes out to the multiple people who have placed orders for Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. This support definitely does not go unnoticed. I hope you are all enjoying the products that have been ordered. When you use the links found under the affiliate section at the Trail Effect website, a portion of the proceeds will help fund the Trail Effect podcast. Bonus, use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. Now on to the Trail Effect with Ryan Tubow. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Ryan Tebow. He is a co-founder of Mountain Bike Vermont, Ranch Cap, which is a pretty awesome bike shop and restaurant and I think bar as well up in Vermont. He's also a rad artist of the Northeast and has been associated with a bunch of art throughout the state that is pretty iconic, according to Bryce Sherbach. And I'm sure he's involved with a ton of other stuff. How's it going today, Ryan? Great. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate your hospitality and inviting me on. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, so we got connected through Bryce Sherbach and Bryce is really keen on connecting me with key players within various regions throughout the country within the world of mountain biking. And so anytime Bryce sends a connection my way, I'd totally pay attention to it. And I think it's really an awesome thing to get those guests on the show. So I really thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate Bryce, um, really championing, championing, um, you know, different regions and folks that have made things happen in the mountain bike scene. Um, he's been great for, for us here in Stowe and Vermont in general. I mean, he's been an advocate for, we always say he's an unofficial Vermonter essentially, because he spends enough quality time here and promoted us in such wholesome ways. So yeah. kudos to Bryce. He might yeah. call himself an un- unofficial Vermonter as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. <laughs> well, let's get your backstory, Ryan, and how you got into mountain biking and the mountain bike scene specifically. For sure. So I grew up here in Vermont in the Northeast Kingdom. Uh, the Northeast Kingdom, believe it or not, is an actual region, uh, like an official term now. Um, it's the northeastern part of the state and rural most Vermont. So I grew up out in the sticks, not far from Kingdom Trails. Um, I had an awareness of what was happening at King Trails even before I mountain biked there because it was this sort of little epicenter of of commotion. And 
ironically, you know, when I was young, I identified as a skateboarder, but you know, the irony is that Vermont is dirt road centric, not, not paved, beautiful parking lots. Um, it's not an urban community by any means. And, uh, at one point in my late teens, I lived with two guys that each owned bike shops and they basically demanded that I, I start mountain biking with them. So Hank Lowiak of Chuck's Bikes in Morrisville, Vermont, which is a very eclectic shop, eclectic shop that's worth visiting. Um, super nice guy has created a local community. And then uh, this gentleman, Dana Jordan, that had a shop called I Recycles. And those guys were the ones that developed the Perry Hill trails illegally before Perry Hill was on the map. And they said, look, man, if you're going to live with us, you're going to buy a mountain bike. So they corkboard financed me one. And uh, I think it was a, a $250 GT Terquestra or something, uh, primitive bike. And they started taking me out at like 5.30 in the morning before work and basically put me through the equivalent of a mountain bike boot camp. But much to my surprise, I loved it. Within two or three rides and taking my, my lumps, I was like, holy shit, this is, there's a future in this for me. And uh, I never looked back. So you lived with two guys that owned two different shops? Yeah, in two different towns. We lived between the two. Anecdotally, not to go, not to go too down, too far down the rabbit hole, but they used to do things like I, I would go and meet Hank at his shop after work, and he'd say, "Hey, come, come to the shop after work. We're gonna ride. We're gonna go for a bike ride." So I would show up there with what I had on. You know, this is before Camelback. I had a water bottle and say, "Okay, we're gonna ride home," and that was something like I don't know, thirteen miles over two mountain ridges, and he would just take me out on these marches, <laughs> you know, like on rides that were way beyond my fitness level or my uh, riding know-how. And I, you know, I got thrown in the deep end and I would follow this guy anywhere. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it was like full immersion, you know, crash course and literally in mountain biking. And they were, this was before the real buzz in Vermont, like mountain biking was a thing, but it was very clandestine. Like you'd see guys popping out of little holes in the woods on the side of the roads and wonder what the hell they're doing there. It was definitely in the years of sort of the humble roots before it felt like an industry, if you will, up here. So it was a good time to get to know the sport. You know, it was, a, it was about a decade old at that time, I'd say. So you're talking, not to date myself, but you're talking late 90s. The sport really took root in this area in about 88, 89. Some old timers would tell you earlier, but they're, you know, rare unicorns at this point. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that must have been some awesome conversations between those two comparing notes between bike shops because that's, that's a pretty unique thing to have two different bike shop owners under the same roof. Yeah, absolutely. One was very service oriented in this tiny hole in the wall that was basically the size of like a small barber shop. And the other was this quintessential small town bike shop that had three decades of parts stored there in literally in piles. And they sold anything under the, under the sun that involved cycling. But mountain biking was really becoming a thing there because each, each region had their own little trail network. And they were sort of deer paths back then. It was double track and then some, some odd spur deer paths. I'm understating it a little bit, but it really was the early days. And uh, yeah, you could just see that this was a seed that was starting to take root. And both those communities are thriving now. I mean, Perry Hill, if you are if you uh, know Vermont at all, Perry Hill is probably one of the most advanced, readily accessible trail networks. I mean, you get off the highway, you know, make a right and a left, and then you're at this trailhead and it is a mini enduro park with very progressive riding, some of the best in the state. And then um, Chuck's Bikes, uh, that Hank owns, that has a very 
sort of secretive zone near it that's not really on the maps. It's on Trail Forks, but you'd have to dig for it and you can go get lost in there for days. It's it's awesome, but it's super progressive riding at this point too with a robust community supporting it. And it really was born out of the shop. Well, let's talk about Vermont as a whole. You know, I mean, as, as you pointed out prior to us hitting record, I've done a handful of shows, probably more than a handful of shows that are Vermont based because Vermont, you know, it's, while it's small in actual size, it's, in my opinion, huge in terms of like the impact that it has within the world of mountain biking and the partnerships that have come about with private and public land and access. And granted, there has been obviously some, some issues with that in the past, but I think overall, the shining, the shining example of, of all this stuff is just the fact that you really do have a large network of access available to all mountain bikers on private and public lands. So let's kind of get into some of the, some of your, you know, your perspective on Vermont as a whole. There's a, I mean, there's a huge trail network that's getting built or I shouldn't say network. It's like a cross country trail, you know, the Vermont, I think it's the Vermont hut system. I want to say, or what? Yeah. It's one of the people. Yeah. VTXC. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a trail that's basically going to run parallel to the long trail, um, up the spine of green mountains. So connecting the state North to South. I mean, from a, Bird's eye view, we've come a very long way quickly. Like I was saying, you know, the late 90s was this sort of upswing in popularity of cycling and then some of the infrastructure being built out. Um, not long after that, Vimbo was founded. So the Vermont Mountain Bike Association, which is the official liaison to the state. They've been amazing. We're on, in my time, the third generation of leadership. And it went from a very sort of boost in the ground, small timey role with Patrick uh, Kells, and then it went to the, to the next gentleman that took it over, who was doing a lot more of the clerical work, which is critical, so less boots on the ground. And then uh, you know, over time now evolved into something that feels very all-encompassing, where you have members of, should I say this? You have everybody from um, ambassadors out in the field, flying the banner on behalf of the state, or behalf of the state entity, right up to the folks that are spearheading rewriting the laws so that it's easier to get trail networks built here. Like it's really all encompassing now and it feels a lot more future proof than it used to, where there's a lot more forward thinking folks that are looking long range and ushering in an era where mountain biking is really going to parallel the ski industry in the state. Um, There's that much infrastructure and that much organization around it. And it's great because unlike the ski industry, which requires large mountains and tremendous amount of infrastructure, Every small town now can invest time and efforts into the network. And then back to the original thread, that's why all of a sudden it's become possible to put a trail up the entire spine of the state of Vermont because they're literally just finding segues to connect the existing networks. So basically all those dots on the map are now being connected, which is really cool. I've bikepacked that route, um, not the exact route that they're charting, but I've bikepacked that same corridor twice from Killington to Hyde Park, Vermont. and it's phenomenal. I mean, you're, you're riding in the Green Mountains, you're at elevation a lot of the time, you're coming across some of the most epic networks the state has to offer, which in their own, like every town in their own right has such cool draws to them. You know, some of them are super isolated and they all tend to have really strong local communities with just an insane cast of characters that makes things happen. And all these people are accessible. Like you, you show up in Rochester, for instance. And you got Dune at Green Mountain Bikes and Kinley in the shop and Dylan and like all these guys who have been there for years where like you can pretty much count on the fact they're going to be there and hang out for a brew after work or like 
you know, welcome you into their community. So I think that that is one of the, one of the things that makes Vermont particularly unique. Everything is sort of small timey, but very much interconnected. So it makes for a very, very strong riding community, which is an extension of the rest of our community. Yeah. And I've had Nick Bennett on the show, the, the current executive director of, of Vimba. And I don't know if you're able to, if you, if you, I'm sure you probably know him and know his story, but it was awesome to know that like he's, well, he's got relatives on his wife's side of the family, I believe that are from Vermont, but he really didn't come from Vermont, but was right. came from another state or at least spent a bunch of time in another state on the West coast in Washington and was able to like really study the culture of mountain biking and how a good state organization runs yeah. before coming into Vermont. You know, that brings credence to what we're doing here because everybody was so Western looking for so long. That seemed to be where, you know, they were at the forefront and having somebody come from out there that's been immersed in the community and seeing the same potentials here um, is huge for us. Back to the Vimba thing, just as a piece of infill. So yeah, it was uh, Patrick Kell was a original leader of Vimba and he was very much a shovel in the earth type of guy. And then after him was Tom Stussy, who's a friend of mine. And Tom was very much clerical and like brought a lot of the systems in place. And then now under the leadership of Nick, it's sort of all encompassing where all the people and parts are in place. So you got boots on the ground, shovels in the earth, administrative body, taking care of it, uh, liaising with the state. So we really have matured as an entity. And the nice thing too is, you know, Vermont's a state of 625,000 people. And it makes for a very manageable community where I look at Nemba, which is New England Mountain Bike Association. And it's just such a broad region with so many different, so much diversity in that region. But Vermont, it's, it's not that we're like homogenized culture, but it's, it's a, it's a very recognizable sort of well bookended community that's now being very well managed. So I don't know if that's articulated well, but I guess what I'm saying is it feels like one, one holistic community as opposed to a bunch of disparate, you know, chunks, if you will. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're starting on a, on a nationwide scale, we're starting to see more state, more states take the route of Vimba or Evergreen Alliance, like they have in Washington, or now there's the California mm. Mountain Bike Coalition, you know, in the state of California. And then, then, and then on, on a larger scale, you've got Sorba, which is seven states, but highly organized, right. you know, so right. I think it just shows the power of mountain biking and the organization of mountain biking. And I think like we were kind of forced to organize like that because early on we just weren't accepted, right? We were the new kid on the block and we needed to figure out how to get accepted. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I, and, and I, again, like, you know, Vermont is known for having its own sort of political atmosphere uh, unique unto itself and, and also just being a very politically active place. And so you take that foundation and then you apply it to mountain biking. It's no wonder that we have very strong chapters in any given town that are very much about self-governance, but then also leaning on the, you know, the state entity Vimbo as well. I find it terribly exciting. I, it, this was a part of mountain biking that used to bore me because I identified as like one of the sort of stalwart you know, rogue riders out there in the woods. And, but now as a, as a grown adult, I realize how critical this is. And also just reaping the benefits, you know, as a shop owner and watching trail networks pop up all over the state. And, you know, as they say, a rising tide, it's, it's just, it's, it's to everybody's benefit. It's very exciting. Well, let's stay on trails and talk about bike parks. Mm -hmm. I've been saying it quite a bit recently or lately in shows that we're seeing a, a rise in bike parks, I think. In that's almost, and even in mountain biking in general, that's almost similar to the rise of ski areas in the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s. But now it's happening in mountain biking today. 
And if you, if you kind of track the timelines of those two industries or two activities, and I say skiing because snowboarding really wasn't a thing in the sixties and seventies yet. I mean, there might've been the snurfer with a, with a, with a rope on the, on the nose, but you know, probably it's, here in Vermont. Yeah, yeah probably. Exactly. <laughs> probably in Vermont. Yeah. But you look at the timelines of those two and they're almost, they're almost on the same trajectory. Like once skiing kind of evolved in terms of equipment, getting better now mountain biking has evolved in terms of equipment getting better. You know, both were maybe, well, skiing was, I mean, some people say it's been around since the 1800s, but really we'll say early 1900s. So it's, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. And then it mm. really started to launch, you know, how do you, what are your, what is your take on bike parks, you know, in Vermont, but also in the, in the Northeast, because you've got so many pocket, I'm going to say ski areas, not resorts that are so yeah. incredible for communities. Yeah, I think that it absolutely parallels what you saw in the ski industry um, and even some resurgence in the ski industry where some of the local rope toes and the smaller entities are starting to come back online despite challenges with shorter winters, but people realizing they need that nucleus or hub for the community. You know, For me right now, some of the people that are on the bleeding edge would be the community in Quebec. They, it's almost like they overcompensated. The Quebecers used to come to Vermont and half of our riding population in uh, like at Kingdom Trails, for instance, on any given day was was the Quebec community. And they started investing in their own infrastructure. And so now they have all these bike parks popping up all over the place. And I hope that that sort of bleeds south into Vermont again, because the type of infrastructure and the, the the appetite they have for development up there is so exciting. And it's they've really pushed the limits on creating parks that have everything from the ultra beginner track, call it the, the um, you know, like Strider bike style, little pump track for the kids up to trails that 99% of people are not going to ride. Uh, Santier de Moulin outside of Quebec City is a prime example. I went up there last summer and I was blown away. That style of riding on the, on the expert and down here is still viewed as very much a liability. And, but, but it's the most exciting for a lot of us, you know, people that have been established in the industry for a long time. That and the beginner riding too, because you, you basically need to bleed out on both ends of the spectrum, right? Bleed out, probably not being the appropriate <laughs> terminology here, but you know what I mean. Expand. So, I think that's super exciting, and you know, I do see it happening in Vermont. Some of the some of the things that are interesting about the way the growth is happening is, you know, when you say bike park, there's very blurry lines. So, yeah, you know, most people think chairlift or lift access, and so you have some great examples in the state with Burke, Killington, Sugarbush, Bolton coming back online with some great riding, um, some Gravity Logic engineered flow trail. That's super cool. But then you have Phil Metz right now developing what they call the driving range in uh, next to Cochran's. And that's very much a bike park, but it's a pedal park. And it's an area that's essentially, you know, 10 years ago, we just called a part of the network, but it's very deliberate where you ride to the top and then riding these trails back down, called it Enduro Park. And I just like that there is this spectrum being developed now with everything from sort of cross pay, pay to play cross country areas all the way up to the, that traditional bike park experience where you're riding a chairlift. And the nice part of that is that communities can sort of pick the, a little a la carte menu of what do they want, what serves them the best. And you know, it's amazing to watch these things grow like mushrooms all over the state. That one that Phil's building right now, I don't know how you follow Phil on Instagram. He's thoroughly entertaining and he's been documenting the whole process, but that's uh, 30 minutes for me. I'm very excited to go there. He has some super challenging trails, A, B, C lines. Like it's just, it's like the inner workings of Phil's mind applied to this hillside. So that's, that's the style building that I think is really 
interesting and exciting. And we're allowing it to happen. It's, you know, years ago, it probably would have had to have been secret just because of the nature of the building. But like watching that more progressive riding built in organized fashion is, is super cool. You brought up the pedal park example. And I think that's an area that we're seeing expand across the country. And it's so vitally important, you know, for one, there's, and I'm going to, I'm kind of going to deviate a little bit, drift back a little bit into shuttles. E-bikes are allowing pedal parks to really become successful, right? Yeah. Like Canuga is a great example, right? Exactly. Where they've sort of popularized the, the formula, but also just the buzzwords around pedal park. And then, so if you mention that, a lot of people do think Canuga right off the bat, but the idea that it's a pay to play model, which I think, you know, Vermont has a ton of free riding, which is great. Um, it requires a tremendous amount of volunteer labor. There is a certain amount of equilibrium that's brought into a scenario when you have a pedal park. Uh, you know, you, typically that means that there's some paid staff there to help repair the damage that we're 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 doing. Or, yeah, if you know what I mean. Well, so it's like all things it, it, need to be maintained I, I in life. We'll just say that we don't even yeah, have to say absolutely. damage. Like brick yeah, buildings get damaged, maintenance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to call it wear and tear, but even that seems to be you know sound, sounds bad. But without a doubt. No, maintenance is a good thing. Here in Stowe, um, we're off on a bit of a tangent, but we have two paid trail builders and it's been awesome to see. My biggest appreciation comes from them doing the routine maintenance. And then I'll look over and there'll be this sneaky little extra like dirt pile wedge on the side of the trail. You're like, oh, right. Now that's a jump. And these things sort of creep in, you know, in the fringe of the trails. And so you have this sort of constantly evolving piece of the network, which is, I don't know, just keeps it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've, I've brought this up a lot and sometimes it's not the most popular topic because there is money involved, but I think the pay to play model, whether it's, whether you have some sort of lift assistance by way of chairlift or shuttle truck or even pedal park, like a Canuga is, is vitally important to our community and our ecosystem of, of mountain biking. While I do also believe that having that free access, especially in within communities and that ride to ride experience, like the pay to play model is or that going the only free route model is just not sustainable, especially as we push the envelope with progression. Yeah. And on that note, if you're a mountain biker, constant mountain biker, and you're out there often, you know, the onus is on you to look at who's stewarding those trails and become a member, make a donation, participate in their fundraisers. Like most of these things are actually fun in their own right. So if it's a fundraiser, you know, pizza and beer night, whatever it is, like, come out and actually participate, get to know these folks, but also, you know, put your money up. Um, that's one thing I, I always believed in. And we've had a lot of hurdles in Vermont, Kingdom Trails being an exception where they have that their day membership model, which has never been, to my knowledge, never been challenged. I wish more of us in the state could adopt a similar model so that people were actually paying to play essentially. And those who can't afford it or need subsidies, you know, we should, we should have infrastructure for that too. I don't think it's too idealistic, like watching Kingdom Trails thrive. I mean, luckily for them, and they needed this, a lot of other networks have come online and taken some of the pressure off of them because they were reaching a tipping point, as everybody saw in the media. And I feel like they have a much more balanced approach now. A lot of their efforts actually go to community outreach and making sure that they're supporting the peripheral folks in their community. So anybody that's industry adjacent, it's not rampant growth that they're looking for or how many riders can we grow year over year uh, rider visits can we grow year over year um they're really looking at it in a much more holistic way and being up you know from that community and in a way a product of that community i think that that is the most 
it's the best direction that they could have could have taken for sure. And the riding quality is still stellar, uh, and it's still expanding too, which is amazing. There, I mean, that community is what actually put Vermont on my radar in terms of a place to want to go visit. You know, yeah. Staying on the topic of of bike parks, but out of Vermont, you've been involved with Highland. Oh yeah, those are my people. <laughs> yeah, I've had Marquez on the show. I've been able. Mm-hmm. I've been fortunate to to ha- to actually meet Marquez in person and at a couple different conferences and whatnot. And you talk about you, earlier. You brought a, like you talked about Bleeding Edge. Like that guy was on the wave leading leading edge of yeah bringing gravity bike parks into the United States after a trip to Whistler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually, when Highland came online year one, I was living in Vancouver and riding the North shore. And I got a, I think it was the Klein magazine. It was a, uh, an issue with this photo shoot that Sterling had done at Highland. And I was like, Holy shit. Look at what's happening on the East coast. And I remember I was, we were toying with the idea of moving back East. And that was one of the little kernels that made me feel better about coming back here. Mark was a visionary. I mean, I, you just can't imagine how much work that guy put into Highlands. He lived, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes from the park. And he was sort of like first person on the scene every day and last to leave. So anything you've heard about Mark being a workhorse is absolutely true. I think that you, you can't overstate how much time and effort Mark put in. And those that surrounded him too. Island has been a springboard for a ton of talent. Dave Smutok, who's his director of business operations, something to that effect. Dave's the gentleman also that builds the Red Bull Rampage course every year, but Dave's brilliant and he's really nurtured the camp scene at Highland, which they're, again, that's their new for their new frontier. You know, the efforts that they put into the hill and building the infrastructure there, that was a segue into building this really amazing camps infrastructure and hosting hundreds of kids at this elite riding level, or at least nurturing nurturing them into an elite riding level year after year. But yeah, I had a chance to work with them over a period of 10 years, doing a lot of creative direction and design with them and helping them do their marketing. And then I just started working with them again, dabbling a bit over the past year. It's been awesome. I, I, I love those guys. Actually, one tangent. So Highland revolutionized trails in the Northeast in general, because... Mark had a, a trail crew, including Tom LaPasker, who's probably the, the most notable, Ben Moody, Slim, like this amazing crew of trail builders. And they went out and they kind of developed their own practices, protocol, you know, their own level of excellence in trail building. And then a lot of them have spun off and started their own businesses and they applied all that knowledge and it has revolutionized trails in general. And Vermont has been, uh, has really benefited from that. So Tom Lopesker for, for one, probably, you know, one of my absolute top trail builders took all that knowledge. He built Sherburne and, and Killington. He built trails and, and Stowe that are phenomenal. Our best trails were sort of retouched and rejigged by Tom. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a result of the time he put in learning at Highlands without a doubt. And so that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And, you know, I mean, Mark was like, I mean, it was a gamble for him to do that, you know, take a rundown ski area that hadn't been operating for like 10 years, invest basically all the capital he had Mm -hmm. in a time where mountain biking was really kind of going into a lull, you know, because it just came out of that, you know, first initial high point of like all the Norba racing that happened in the nineties, you know, kind of dropped in the early two thousands and then just started to take off again. Yeah. And, and also, you know, to Mark's credit, he, he made it profitable. 
Yeah. Like a lot of folks were using mountain biking was a loss leader of a lot of these resorts. And really what they were trying to do is they, they used it as a mechanism for employee retention. So if you were Stone Mountain Resort in the mid nineties, you had a, you create a, a quote unquote downhill mountain biking program. Just terrifying, you know, just set, fire people down double tracks with huge water bars and K2 ProFlex or, or razors or whatever the bike was of the era. And the idea was to keep some staff on so that they were year round. Uh, but Mark, I mean, it was do or die. Like the, the, there was no winter programming and that was huge. I mean, that hadn't really been seen here on the East coast. And I, I just, I, you don't really see that level of dedication elsewhere. Like, or at least I hadn't seen that level, level of dedication. And that was part of the reason I was compelled to, to work with them. It was, again, I, I'm sort of abusing the term, but full immersion, like jump in and uh, hold on loosely. Like it was awesome. Yeah. Whenever he does a presentation and introduces himself and Highland Bike Park, he's like, he uses the statement every time and we're 100% about bikes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's no joke. I mean, that's, that is the truth. Let's move on to Katie Hill. Now this is an area that I honestly don't know a whole lot about. And we're going to, we're going to credit Bryce Sherbach for this, for this topic, because he asked about the history and the development of the site. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about Katie Hill from your perspective, what Katie Hill is for the the listeners and myself that aren't familiar with it and what its importance is. Okay. Um, so I'm talking to you guys today from, from, uh, the town of Stowe and actually within literally shouting distance of Katie Hill out my door. If I listen during the day, I can hear people hooting and hollering, uh, with joy on the trail network out there. So I think that that bodes well, it's a good way to sort of intro Katie, but Katie Hill is a piece of conserved lands right in the center of Stowe. The town sort of surrounds Katie Hill. And you can leave from a lot of the businesses in town, the hotels in the downtown area, Ranch Camp, which is uh, my bike shop and restaurant. And you can leave right from the parking lot. And there's egress into Katy Hill. And then there's something like, don't quote me on this, but I think there's probably 12-ish miles right there out the back door. And it started as sort of another clandestine network. There's a few secretive trails out there. And over time, it picked up a lot of momentum. There's a ton of riding, dog walking, of course, too. And eventually, it was slated to be developed into a housing development and golf course. And that didn't sit well with a lot of folks in town, especially those that lived with this beautiful resource in their backyard. So the Stowe Land Trust, with the precursor to Stowe Trails Partnership, it's called the Stowe Mountain Bike Club which is a, an understatement because they, they had a lot of responsibility. Those two entities decided that they would lobby to conserve the hilltop. And they did. They pulled it off. I got to contribute at the time. I made the little little button that looked like a political button that said, save Katie Hill. So <laughs> that was my contribution. But yeah, so now there's this, this resource right here in the center town that is conserved in perpetuity. Um, there's a ton of stakeholders there um, between Stowe Land Trust, which does a huge amount for the town, Stowe Trails Partnership, of course, which is the official um, stewards, who if you come to Stowe, you should uh, become a member. And the Stowe Village of Stowe has a stake in it. There's a bunch of folks. And so you know, any given meeting that, that comes up in and around what's taking place at Katie Hill, there's all these stakeholders that will, that will come in and, and weigh in. But it, it makes for a very engaged and very proactive community, which is awesome. If you sort of dig around out there and look at the trails, it's a nice mix of flow trail in the sort of center core and then radiating, radiating out from there, some old school rake and ride. 
some of my favorite stuff is the rake and ride that goes off into the fringe and sort of disappears off the map. Um, but that, that little nucleus is the gateway to probably hundred miles of trails locally. You can connect up to traps. You can connect to some other, we call them pods because they look a bit disconnected, um, due to the way the trails cross private property and stuff. But, uh, you can ride from here to Morrisville in one direction. You can ride from here to Waterbury in the other direction. Um, which is a, a section of that, um, cross Vermont trail that we talked about earlier, but it's an incredible resource. It's an economic driver. If you sit on the side of the road in Stowe, so it's a pretty affluent community, sort of a Aspen of the East, if you will. But if you sit on the side of the road and you just watch the cars go by on any given summer day, I mean, you're talking, you know, two bikes, five bikes, three bikes, like just nonstop march of bikes to the trailheads, which is amazing. And, you know, as a bike shop owner, that's what you want to see. Um, but it changed the flavor of the community. I mean, it's just, we're a bike town. It might have been Bryce that said it, but somebody was telling me, they said, you want to be interesting when you're older and you're, you're talking to your kids, or your grandkids about how you grew up in a, in a bike town, the way people have reverence for the ski town, right? Like we literally now identify as a bike town, which is a really cool symptom of this industry taking root here. That just is one more parallel that draws back to the the comparison I've made between skiing in the '60s and '70s and the way the direction that cycling and mountain biking is going now. Yeah, I will say, and this parallels the comment on Highland too, and the Air Academy, which is their camps, and the summer ride program. Um, we have uh, Simba, the Stowe Mountain Bike Academy, and there's many, many other entities in the state. Not barely a summer camp that doesn't offer a mountain biking component now. And it is amazing to go out on the trails and see these roving packs of children hammering around. Some of them being very adept at riding bikes. Um, a lot of them on epic equipment, like super cool little full suspension bikes that we pined for when we were kids or even as adults. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it, I think that that just shows how much this, this industry and the community has matured. I mean, that's, it's a relatively new phenomenon. 10 years ago, you did not see large groups of children ripping around sometimes by themselves. That's my favorite. It's just running into a bunch of little, little kiddos hammering with no adult supervision. Cause you know, how much trouble are they going to get in? Yeah. I mean, they're on bikes. Yeah. So that's, that's like the perfect, perfect tool to be outside and wear yourself out and have fun. Totally. Let's transition back into the industry or into the industry with ranch camp. Yeah. Cause there's, you know, it's your bike shop that you've co-founded, I think with what, two or three other people. Two other people. Yep. Evan Schismark and Nate Friends are my two business partners. Yeah. So what is it and why? And then we're going to get into the menu. Okay. And I'll the fact to, that it's a truck the, dealer and I got to, I got to support truck dealers because I live in Wisconsin and yeah, yeah, I, totally. I am very keyed into the local truck dealer myself. Nice. Yeah. Got to respect the roots. So ranch camp is five years old now. Um, we returned five this June, which feels like a good mature age year one and two. You know, suspect year three and four was COVID for us. I guess it was thereabouts. And then year five, you know, we're older, we're wiser now. But Ranch Camp was born out of Mountain Bike Vermont, which is a, another entity that we have. Mountain Bike Vermont was a project we started in 2010. And it was largely a, like a, an events promotion business. I don't know that we ever qualified it as such back then, but we like to have bike parties. And we like to see how many people we could get together to do that. Our biggest events that have become the most successful would be like winter bike, for instance. I think we got up to 500 people and that, that, and that's fat biking, right? So that's kind of a, an anomaly here in the East. So we parlayed that sort of 
the idea of getting people together and doing these events, you know, year over year, which is great. We were like, well, can we can we do this on a daily basis? Can we create a brick and mortar version of this business and motivate people the same way, but you know, have them come to us as opposed to us going to them? And I don't even know that we fully had rational, rationalized it that way. But that that's what that was sort of where the idea of Ranch Camp came from. And it, we did. We decided five years ago that we would you know, pivot and put a lot more energy into the idea of brick and mortar. We started the shop. It's on the trailhead, which is something that we really wanted. We wanted to create uh, basically a ski lodge for the mountain bike community. That's where the name comes from. Ranch Camp was Stowe Mountain's first ski lodge. The Conservation Corps had cut a trail and they staged out of this old logging camp. And so it was called Ranch Camp. And that is, was decommissioned. And now it's just a field out in the woods. That's where the sort of idea came from. Is like, let's we're going to be the first mountain bike base lodge, and that's what we are. I mean, it's a it's a location that you come to to get a wholesome lunch, rent a bike, get your bike repaired, and stage your adventures from, and then return after for some lovely apre. And we have a big old parking lot and a kiosk, and you know all the trappings that you would find at a ski resort. And we just wanted that sort of baked in at the base of our of Katie Hill. And you kind of deal in. All the various brands, I'm not going to say all the brands, but like you have, you know, your, your large, one of the big three brands check, but then you also have smaller brands, yeah. boutique brands, you know, so you kind of cover the spectrum too. Yeah, we have an, I mean, our, our brand partners are fantastic. And I say that with the utmost respect for all of them. I mean, we've done a good job at curating. A lot of them have also come to work with us, but we, not to overstate uh, Ranch Camp, but from the beginning, we always wanted to have a shop that was generally relevant, actually known. You know, the idea that we were part of this local community contributing to it, part of the fabric, and that people looked at us as, you know, a viable resource, not just like a, a tourist trap or something like that. But that if you were traveling to Stowe from abroad, you'd know I need to stop at ranch camp. Like that's that cool place that you got to go to because of the utility and because of the the, you know, all of the 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 parts that we have built into it, being on the trailhead and so on. And I feel like that's something that we've actually realized. Like people come to us from Bentonville or even from the West Coast. Like, yeah, I heard about you guys through XYZ Resource or through our social media because we're, you know, we're we have a, a quite an appetite for social media, and uh, you know, it works. Like they they come to, they come to us because it's one of the stops they're going to make when they're traveling through our corridor, um, which is amazing, and that for me is really gratifying. We can transition into into the menu because it's not just a bike shop. Oh, true. Okay. So yeah, the food side is huge. It's so funny because you know, it's it's a small bike shop by by all standards, I suppose. I mean, both in square footage and in like it just it just appears fairly small. Although we do decent amounts of business and we deal with a lot of people on the daily, which is great. And then we have this uh, a restaurant that's relatively small, appendix it, but it all adds up to something much greater than its its parts, if you will. So we have a, on the restaurant side, it's all under one roof. Um, you can literally drink a beer eat a burrito and watch the mechanic fix your bike if you want to. But on the restaurant side, we have Chef Joe Rock, who's been with us since day one. And he is literally our rock. I mean, he's like a pillar that holds up half of this business. And in the early days, you know, Soho is rich with restaurants. It's always had a ton of restaurants. And we were trying to figure out what can we do that's unique to give us a point of difference, set us apart from everybody else, other than having a bike shop next to your table. And Joe leaned into vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free and this sort of like casual farm to table comfort food. And it's worked. It's awesome. People come to town. 
who have dietary restrictions will eat with us three days in a row and leave thanking us, which feels really good. I mean, it just shows that there is a need for it. So we found some, some space in the industry, if you will. And the food quality is awesome. So you get everything from protein bowls with, you know, everything from uh, smoked chicken from, from our kitchen or, you know, steak, if you want, if that's your, if that's where your loyalties lie uh, right down to tofu, which is my go-to on, on a, the rock bowl, which is tofu, arugula, beans, um, pickled onions, avocado, onion, this lovely little like super wholesome dish. But the amazing thing is that, you know, that's, that's a, that's good food in its own right, but you go for a bike ride and come back for one of those. And it is just absolutely phenomenal. Like it's, it's like environmental, (laughs) but yeah, that's been, that's been awesome. And that watch people react to that and promote us and visit us just for the food side has been really redeeming. Well, when I get up that way, I'm not going to say if, because it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when Mm -hmm. that is where I'll be dining all the time because I am a vegetarian and my girlfriend is a straight vegan. And so it is super important to find a restaurant that has those offerings. Cause even in 2023, that's not a common thing. And you're always asking yeah. for like the chef to like, could you make something special in back? Because there really isn't anything on your menu that suits our needs, but we want to eat here. <laughs> yeah. And this is on a bachelor plug. If, you know, if more traditional and less vegan is your flavor, um, we also over the course of time, but end up buying the adjacent, what was a dive bar and turning into a restaurant and the forte is called the backyard. And the forte there is smash burgers and uh, a little more like common pub fare. Uh, I would say more indulgent. And then that's a full bar with liquor and you can get a, a, you know, quality whiskey and, and a smash burger and some tots. So yeah, part of the ecosystem all occupies the same parking lot and the same trailhead. It's pretty cool. Do you have an ultimate burger? An ultimate burger. No. So that is, that's, that's when by ultimate burger, are you talking about like, uh, like, um, plant-based. So that is something I've been thinking about for a long time. They're tough because a lot of people they'll go vegetarian with it where it still has some egg or something in it to kind of hold it together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, truly. And, um, I listen to a lot about entrepreneurs and one of the themes that keeps coming up again and again is shifting to a plant based diet. I stopped, I stopped eating meat. Like, I don't know what it was nine weeks ago, which sounds like very short amount of time, but it was such an easy switch for me. I just decided I was done with it and not even for health reasons, just environmental and not to jump up on the soapbox, but it was just an easy shift. And I think about that for the, for the backyard and having a couple options that are sneaky. So maybe it's not the most healthful iteration of a um, big smash, but still having it on the menu and being able to pistol entice people with food that is recognizable, but equally, you know, tasty and, and, and indulgent essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I, this is, this has definitely been sort of on the top, top of mind for us anecdotally. And maybe this part gets edited out because it could just be fluff, but I recently took a trip down to Costa Rica where I got to go biking and it was awesome. And that place is amazing. And in some ways felt very Vermont where there's tight knit communities and conservation was sort of at the forefront, but we went with a local guide to go check out a part of the jungle. And we talked, I was sitting with a vegan and we were talking about um, the implications of eating meat. And he was saying, yeah, if you want to see the impact of meat on our environment, look out the window and we're driving on this little bus and I'm looking at it's just pasture land. And he's like, keep an eye out. Because the end, the the beginning of the conservation land is going to start soon, and anything that's not conserved becomes cattle grazing land. And so you, you go from this 
sort of monoculture where it's just grasslands where jungle used to be and cows. And then all of a sudden there's this lush wall that just comes up at an acute angle right at the fence line. And that's what used to be there. And I was thinking, looking out at all these cows in this landscape, like I don't need meat enough to like, I just don't need meat that much. I'd rather have jungle there, which is absurd because I don't live in Costa Rica, but obviously better for the planet to have more jungle and it probably better for Vermont to have more forests in any given area. And I don't know, it just seemed, it was just such a, a pointed, poignant visual. I'm a very visual person. And I could literally look at the divide between one mentality and the other. And I was like, ah, I'm just going to stop eating meat. So I did. That's funny. Well, we, we kind of are going about this a little backwards because we went to ranch camp and now we're going to mountain bike Vermont, which was the precursor to ranch camp. Right. Which is, I think, totally, totally. fine that we go out of order because it, the ranch camp kind of set the backstory as well for Mountain Bike Vermont. But let's talk about your, you know, your 2010 creation of, of Mountain Bike Vermont and what that's done for the Vermont community. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a culmination of a few things. Uh, so I've been living out in British Columbia for a few years. I lived in the interior in Nelson, which is, I mean, just a rare spot populated by rare humans. It's amazing. Very bohemian, awesome, isolated mountain town with cool shit happening everywhere you look. But I grew up here in Vermont. I have a lot of loyalties to this state. And after going doing schooling there and cutting my teeth and and exploring the backcountry and riding bike trails that were way over my head and becoming proficient at like another level of riding, I ended up coming back east. And it was this really weird, motivating moment where I had seen the things the communities have been doing out in BC, like they would hold uh, Kunimon culture is an example. They would hold this thing called backyard booty, which was they brought all the local filmmakers together. They do this one night film fest celebrating the filmmakers and they do a photo competition coupled with it. And I thought I, I just wanted that in our community and it was kind of selfish, honestly, like I just wanted to bring a piece of BC home. So we founded I say we, by the time it was me, founded the Green Mountain Showdown, which is our film fest. And we do exactly that. We took their model and just applied it to the state of Vermont. And it was directly applicable. Like there's all these kids and people here making this amazing mountain bike media out of compulsion. And then they put it on, you know, those early days. So it went on Facebook or wherever, Vimeo. And that is where it lived. And I thought we need a forum to put this on a big screen and celebrate together. And so I did a bunch of things like that. Like, winter bike i called up lil and said lil let's have a festival for cycling in the middle of the winter and who gives a shit whether it takes off or not we just like i just need a reason to celebrate cycling in the middle of the winter and she's like yeah of course let's do it because that's lily's eye and she runs uh, kingdom trails um or helps run kingdom trails and so we started winter bike and started with 70 people and you know nurtured that one so all these things in like a span of two years i just went crazy with the idea of these festivals and that largely gave what was the foundation of mountain bike Vermont that and my friend Vince from BC had written a a rock climbing guide to come to Vermont and write a mountain bike guide with me but it was too premature the state was not ready to have trails documented actually we kind of got run out of a lot of communities they'd say come and ride with us but don't we don't want you to map our trails and so we ended up meeting amazing characters all over the state and riding all of these trails from north to south like all the trails out in the fringe and the book came to fruition, the guide, but all of the friendships and connections did. And so that's, that literally was the catalyst to, to formalizing Mountain Bike Vermont. We became sort of like an online journal, lo- journal in the loose sense, um, and then promoting all events. And then I came up with this itchy logo that people love. 
they kept demanding t-shirts, so they made t-shirts, and then that gave birth to sort of an apparel program. So you can see that it had all of this, all the parts and ingredients of a ranch camp, but it was very informal. And then a few years in, a friend who uh, owned some local restaurants and was just dove headlong into mountain biking. We started riding bikes together. And I hosted one of my events at his restaurant. He's like, man, you know, I kind of, I like what you're doing. And, and he wanted to be part of it. And so he in effect, effectively bought into mountain bike Vermont, but he brought in business acumen because I was always artsy and, you know, good at, good at ideation, but not the execution per se. So Nate came in and he helped formalize and build systems and held me accountable for timelines and all these things. Like he, the book would have been done if he was involved, I, I guarantee it. But uh, yeah, so so Nate came in and then we started talking about literally looking at what is now the backyard at this building in Stowe. And we're like, man, I was saying, look at this, like bikes, beers, burritos, which is very sophomoric, but that's basically the mantra, right? Like we can do this here. He said, we can, but we need to, we need somebody that can manage it. We need somebody that's really good at managing people and a business and understand systems. And both of us had this Eureka or like Evan Chismark and Evan is our third partner. And Evan was running Stow Trails Partnership at the time, doing really well. They were they were they were basically growing leaps and bounds. Um, he had brought a really effective uh, recruitment program into place for new bringing members in and so on and so forth. And he's just this upstanding guy, the mayor. Everybody loves him, and that that was Mountain Bike Vermont evolving into becoming something rooted in the community of Stowe uh, as Ranch Camp. And the Mountain Bike Vermont still exists and does all the same things. We have festivals uh, that have been running, I guess, our oldest festival is 10, 11, 12 years now. So we have Winter Bike, which is our largest and best known. It's a fat bike fest partnered with Kingdom Trails. We have Uber Winter, which is partnered with Socials Partnership here in Stowe. We have Meeting of the Grinds, which is uh, partnered with Slate Valley Trails down in um, Bolton, Vermont. And the Green Mountain Showdown which takes place this year. It'll be in November in Burlington. And that's a film fest that's very Vermont-centric. And then we bring in guests from abroad. Probably one of the coolest little film fests you'll ever, you'll, you'll ever see because we'll show a slideshow images to a standing ovation. It's crazy. Like We'll show Dave Tramporis submits every year. And he's a very famous photographer. If you haven't heard, him, heard of him, you've been living under a rock. Uh, but like he brings people to their feet cheering for photos, which is like, what, how, that, how does that even happen? You know, it's insane. So we're involved in all of these things, uh, still to this day. And we still do apparel, of course. That's a, that's a plug for the business too. Um, and we still have the online resource and we get cool media that cycles through, not heavily driven, but it, it is there. reviews and reviews on trail networks and profiles on people and shops. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're out here. The question I ask everybody and people, and I I love asking this because my hope with this question is that at some point when people listen to this show, if they want to like pull from the answers from this as like a menu of things they can incorporate with their mountain bike community, they can Mm -hmm. look at, they can look at these answers for different offerings that they may want. And that is, I'm going to preface this with, if you, if you had to move out of Vermont, for whatever reason, you know, say you, I mean, whatever, name, name, name the reason. And you had yeah. to move to another community, but you could actually like kind of shape the community or look for the things you wanted. What are the things that you would look for or want in a mountain bike community that you would move to? Actually, I have some uh, sort of an easy uh, a list that's readily available to me. Yeah. Like where you live now. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I would look for, 
an energized community, like we talked about with Knoxville, a place that has um, some some energy of its own that's already in place, um, motivated people, uh, just a pulse. And that's critical. I mean, that's what that's what mountain biking is born out of. That's like our fuel, right? So an energized community with a degree of organization there. So people that are willing to actually organize an, an idea of stewardship or, you know, just civic minded folks that understand the importance of, of banding together, I think is critical. And a place with some degree of infrastructure to make it all happen. I mean, we're blessed here with all these old towns have their own levels of infrastructure. And, you know, it's one thing to move out into the bush in the middle of nowhere and try to make a destination. But I think having some sort of existing infrastructure. And personally, one of my favorite things is always a place that has some history as opposed to being, you know, new from the ground up engineered. I like a place with a little bit of lived in quality and a patina to it. So for me, it is probably because I'm a product of New England, you know, but that's something I always appreciate as well. I've I've only been in the New England region once and that was in in New Hampshire. But I, every time I talk to people from Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, name, name the New England area, even Quebec, I draw so many similarities between there and where I live in the upper Midwest. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you have taller mountains, but still like specific to where I live, similar topography, you know, jungle-like forests and steep yeah. terrain. Totally. Yeah, I think, you know, the mountains is something that everybody loves, big mountains. But like, um, I think mountain biking has taught us all that it's not necessarily about the giant mountains. It really is. There's a lot of other ingredients that make for good riding destinations. That's for sure. Yeah. And we have wheels, so you don't actually need to have really tall things like you would with, you know, snow sports. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of, some of my favorite spots I've ever ridden there was not significant elevation. Just, just a matter of, you know hammering around through the woods. Yeah. Before we close this one up, Ryan, who do you have to thank or what, what kind of shout outs would you like to have? Or did we miss anything that you wanted to touch on that, you know, before we close this one out that we need to discuss? Ooh, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I mean, I thank my community in general. I, it's this, I can't tell you how much opportunity the, the local community has afforded me. It's been awesome. My business partners, for sure. I mean, those guys, they, they could have been sitting here right uh, next to me today. They put in a tremendous amount of work in order to make our businesses successful. I mean, an ungodly amount of work. So definitely got to tribute Evan and Nate, for sure. My wife, for putting up with all of my shit and listening to all of my ideas. And uh, yeah, that's, that's probably a pretty, pretty good scope. I don't know that we missed much. I think that if you're not from Vermont and you're hearing the podcast, um, do come visit us. It's a great place. And, uh, you know, it's, it's part of our, part of the, the economic engine now. So we welcome anybody to come anytime. And yeah, the riding here is, is getting really good, like on the daily. So I'm going to come pay the Green Mountain State a visit. Yeah, you've got some pretty iconic trail builders in that state that are really definitely contributing to making things even better. Like you said, daily. Yeah, absolutely. I'll thank those guys too. Between Knight, Tom, Brooke, Hardy. I mean, the state. And we have all these up and comers too that really have, they're continuing to put us on the map, you know, and raising the bar again and again. Like, yeah, that's a definitely exciting facet of what we have going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ryan, 
I thank you very much for hopping on today and getting this one recorded so we can get it out for the masses to hear and learn about Ranch Camp. For places that people can find Ranch Camp in that, I'm going to put links in the show notes, but not everybody jumps from a podcast directly into Instagram or whatever. Like, Where are some of the places that people can find you? Yeah, we're at ranchcampbt.com, which is probably the easiest way. On Instagram, we are ranchcampbt. MTB Vermont is also our handle. Not that, that one is uh, a good one to follow. We do some lifestyle stuff too, so it's not all overtly salesy. Yeah, and then uh, Backyard BT is the other the other entity here in town. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, out of your Friday uh, afternoon, to to get this one recorded. And it's going to be like every like every show that we do from New England, all the shows we do. But this is definitely it's awesome to hear your stories. Right on. Thank you, Josh. Again, I appreciate your hospitality and inviting me on. For sure. Thank you for listening. Our next episode features free ride legend, Ryan Ardog Howard. This is a good one and definitely provides a different perspective on trails, bike parks, building, and bikes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.